0: Good morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you bring us here together as one family, as one body. And we pray, welcome. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Uh, We pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears that we may receive from you. Guide this time. May every word that comes out of my lips be from you and only you. And we just hand this time over to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every time I, I give the message, my wife Michelle chuckles a little bit. And it's not because she knows what I'm about to say. It's not because I look funny or I have something in my teeth. Um, it's because she knows the history behind the fact that I'm standing here before you today. You see, about three years ago, um, actually four years now, uh, soon after Michelle and I got married, uh, we asked God, where do you want us as, uh, where do you want us for uh, to, to be planted in a, in a home church? Um, we, we had churches that we were going to, but we wanted to be sure that we were where God planted us. So for about a year and a half, we did the church hopping thing. Every Sunday, we would ask God where he wanted us. And long story short is uh, at the end of December 2012, uh, Michelle had a series of dreams uh, about either Blue Water or Jordan. And that told us this is a door that God's opening and we probably should step through it. So we came to Blue Water and the rest is history. Um, Now, the thing about coming to Blue Water is when I first came to Blue Water, I turned to Michelle and said, I'm not sure how I fit in. And I said that because Blue Water is known for its supernatural ministry, right? We talked about that as one of the distinctives in our last sermon series. And um, I was certainly interested in learning more about supernatural ministry and serving in that area, but that wasn't how I typically served at the churches I attended. What I I used to do in the churches I've been going to in the last 10 years um, was giving the message or teaching. Um, I I had the opportunity to to give the message like I do now and I loved it and I realized that my primary spiritual gift is teaching. Now, the thing about teaching and teachers is that there aren't a lot of opportunities in the church to use that gift because people tend to equate teaching with preaching and that's actually a myth and it's one of my missions to dispel that myth but Typically, when you think of teachers, you think of the preacher. And who usually gives the message? The senior pastor. And there's only one of those. So not that I had a yearning necessarily to, you know, to take the place of any person giving the message, but I I was wondering, God, okay, where do I fit in in this body? But it was very clear that God wanted us to be at Blue Water Mission. So we went and we made it our home church. Now, a little bit after that, uh, after joining Blue Water Mission, uh, Craig Chong um, approached me uh, and and asked if I'd be interested in co leading a Bible study. Um, He told me that there had been words given that Blue Water needs to be more into the Word, to get more into uh, word ministry and, and to give the tools to people to study the word. So Craig, uh, myself, and some and another brother um, co-led two studies. One was on basic uh, Bible study skills and the other one is on Ephesians. <laughs> so from there, after that class, those two classes, uh, Craig and TJ encouraged me to do another class and, and blessed them, they really gave me a lot of freedom in this area. And after thinking about it and praying about it, I started what's called the Teacher's Workshop. Um, and the idea behind the Teacher's Workshop is it's a place for teachers to learn about their gift, to hone it, and to have the opportunity to workshop it. So we started that and we've had two series, uh, two, two runs at the Teacher's Workshop. I'm about to uh, start another one this year. And, and out of that led the formation of a team of teachers. And you've heard some of them speak in the last sermon series. And that leads me to to here today, giving you the message, using my gifting, I'm very blessed with that opportunity, and my wife chuckling. Um, She's chuckling, you said you didn't know how to fit in? Well, there you go. Well, I share that story with you because it's a great example of how God often leads me in my life. Um, He he leads me in a certain direction, not quite sure where it's going to lead, but eventually, I see God's plan um, and I see its brilliance and things come full circle, you know, and I realize, yeah, God you knew what you were doing all along. Um, and that's what we're going to look at in this next series because the genius of God's plan is a main theme in the book of Ephesians. Uh, the, study, the book that we'll be studying in this series. It's the same book we studied in that one of the first classes I co-led. And like I said, things come full circle, don't they? Now Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is, is not about um, issues that are particular to a, a church, like the church of Ephesus, unlike certain other letters like Corinthians, Colossians. and those books, you hear a lot of discussion from Paul about issues going on in that church. Ephesians is a little bit different. It was a letter to churches in Asia in general. It was meant to be a letter to be circulated amongst the different churches and and read by the different churches. And what Ephesians does is that it gives a very high level view of God's plan and the way the church fits into that plan. And the great thing about Ephesians too is that it gives us very practical advice about how to live as a follower of Christ. The central question that Ephesians asks is this. What position does Jesus occupy in the universe? What position does Jesus occupy in the universe? And the answer that Ephesians gives is the center. Okay. Jesus is the center of the universe. Now, a center is something that touches every aspect of life. Um, you can think of it kind of as... Uh, uh, a hub, okay. the hub in a wheel, right? A hub connects the spokes in a wheel. Now, every spoke in that wheel has this individual character, if you will. They exist on their own, they have individual value, but they, all the spokes don't function together unless they're connected to the hub at the center. Okay? Without the hub, the spokes fall apart. And that's in a way how Jesus operates in the universe. He holds all things together. So, so what does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus is the, the hub, the center of existence? Well, I'll tell you what, what it doesn't mean is it doesn't just mean that he is first priority. I think sometimes when we think of Jesus as a, as a center, we say, okay, well, we put God first, we put Jesus first. And that's important, I'm not saying it's not, but that's not putting Jesus at the center. What Jesus at the center means is that he is interwoven into every aspect of your life. Every aspect. He's relevant not just to your Sundays, but also to your Mondays through Saturdays. He's present in every sphere of your life, whether it be your education, your life, your your career, your relationships, your sexuality, your finances, you name it. Jesus is present in that sphere and he's part of it. He is the hub that holds everything together. He's the one that makes the world operate. So in the next few weeks, we'll look at a different sphere of life, a different sphere of life each week, and we'll see what it means that Jesus is at the center of that, of that sphere. Um, and specifically, we, we're going um, to look at how God's plan is to unite all things in Him, Jesus, all things in heaven and things on earth and we're going to look at these these different spheres and we're going to look at how Jesus is at the center of it all. Now, as you can tell, Jesus is the ultimate Venn diagram. Those of you who know what Venn diagrams are are having a nice little laugh. The truth that Jesus is at the center of it all, of existence, is so important that we're spending several weeks looking at that, parsing it through. And I think it's important to do that because it's very easy to forget who Jesus really is. Um, Some people think that Jesus is a great teacher, and he is, but he's more than that. Uh, Others think that Jesus, they relate to him as a friend. He's someone we go to for comfort in times of trouble. And again, yes, Jesus certainly is a great comforter, but he's more than a friend. The classical definition of a Christian is a person who believes that Jesus died for us to rescue us, to save us right from eternal judgment. And yes, Jesus is a savior, but is even more than a savior. Jesus is above all things and the center of the cosmos. Um, Ephesians one twenty one says that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but of the age to come. Now, I know some of us you, you might hear that and think, well, you know, I knew it. I came to hear about Jesus, and what you're trying to do is ram God down my throat. What you want to do is convert me. And, make, and put me under God's thumb. You're saying that Jesus has to be Lord of all, and I'm not sure I want that. But you see, if, if you think that, that, you're not quite getting it, because that's not what Jesus wants to do. He, he, God is not interested in adding more to your burdens. Okay? He's not interested in shackling you. What he actually wants to do is to give you more freedom. But as we've learned in the last, kingdom, uh, in the last series, the kingdom is often paradoxical. And so the way to be free is to actually anchor yourself to Jesus. Um, it's a myth to believe that to be free is to, be, to not be tied down to anything. Right? Sometimes we think, um, if, if only I had nothing weighing me down, if I'm a free spirit, then I'm free. But folks, that's not freedom. That's called floating around aimlessly. True freedom requires being grounded in something bigger than yourself. And if you don't align with the reality that Jesus is at the center of it all, that he's the one that holds things all together, what you're going to experience is incoherence in your life. Parts of your life won't make sense and they won't work like they're supposed to. Um, If you're looking at something or someone else other than Jesus to hold your life together, your life is gonna experience a lot of inconsistency and that causes angst. And, and one area where that is particularly important to recognize that Jesus is at the center of identity, uh, center, at the center is our identity. Jesus at the center of our identity. Now our personal identity involves the questions, the deep basic life questions of who am I? Why am I here? Do I matter? You can tell that this is going to be a light sermon. (laughs) Who's asked these questions before? Huh? Okay. Who wants answers to these questions? Yeah. Life would make a lot of sense if we knew the answers to these deep questions, wouldn't it? Now some of us honestly don't actively ask these questions. I mean, we're so darn busy that we don't have time to sit down over a cup of coffee or wine um, to ponder these deep life questions. I mean, there's so much going on. But, and, 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 and truthfully, some of us want to avoid asking these questions because the, the, you know, because the answers may be pretty ugly. So, so we try to keep ourselves occupied so we avoid having to wrestle with these questions. Um, but Just because we don't wrestle with them doesn't mean that they go away and and that they don't matter. They they tend to creep up in different ways. They manifest in different ways, right? Um, Some, some, for example, some people jump from job to job because they they sense that their their work is not meeting their true calling. So they keep looking for that job, that career that gives them meaning in life. And for others, it's not a career, it's it's relationships. They, They jump from person to person, relationship to relationship, finding that one person that will love them and make them feel like they matter, right? And there are still others who don't have any particular way in which this identity crisis uh, manifests, but there's this general sense that there's gotta be more to life than this. And that sense gnaws at you, kinda eats you up, right? Um, And what, what I'm describing here are common symptoms of a fragmented identity. The different pieces of life just don't seem to fit together. And there's no good answer yet to those deep questions of who am I? Why am I here? Do I matter? Now, if we look to the world for answers to these questions, um, they're not very satisfying. Uh, The prevailing view of life today is that it's pretty much random, pretty much thrown together. Uh, If we look to science, what does modern science say? says that life originated from basically a series of chemical reactions. Stephen Hawking, a brilliant British physicist, uh, he holds the position that Isaac Newton once did at Cambridge University. He wrote a book called The Grand Design, and this is what he said. He said, spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist. It is not necessary to invoke God to set the universe going. What Hawking is basically telling us is that life happened by chance. There's no one there to purposefully set things in motion to create the universe, it just happened. Be happy that it happened, but it happened. And we think about it, we find this school of thought, we find this concept not only in science but in other areas. Um, We find it in philosophy, art and literature, in psychology, because in these fields and others, the school of thought known as existentialism has been very influ- influential. Right? And loosely described, existentialism tells us that um, human existence is basically unexplainable. There's no real explanation for for why we exist. Unlike religion that tells you you came to Earth by particular reason, whether it's by God's fighting over each other or, you know, Jesus coming to the world and God creating the universe. All that's a myth. All that's arbitrary. There is no objective truth. So that means freedom of choice is very important because you make your own existence. You define your existence. You and only you are responsible for your own existence because you shape it. And that's an incredibly lonely philosophy. In fact, existentialism regards loneliness as the essence of being human. Now, you may not be into existentialist philosophers like Kierkegaard or Nietzsche or Sartre, but you don't have to go. You don't have to crack open a philosophy book to see existentialism. Um, when I check my social media feed, I often see these things called inspiration grams. You ever see those? Yeah. They're, they're pictures with inspirational quotes on them. Um, here are a couple of inspiration grams I found on Instagram. You define your own life. Don't let other people write your life story for you. You succeed. Okay. Happiness depends on ourselves. Dancing with freedom, untethered. I'm, how about this? I'm working on myself, for myself, by myself. Now, these sound like feel-good messages, don't they? But what they're basically saying is there is no meaning to life except what you make of it. There's no rhyme or reason in the universe. There's no one out there looking for you. You define you. You make, it, you, you make the best of it, go for it. But you're the best that can ever happen. You're on your own. Now, let's compare that to what the Bible tells us about identity. Um, how the Bible answers these questions of personal identity. The Bible tells us that our lives have meaning through Jesus. And why Jesus? Why is it Jesus in particular? It's because he's the one who is above all, and yet he's the one that unites all. He's above all, and he, he unites all things. He's the one who gives meaning to the seemingly random parts of life. We are held by the one who holds all things together. We are held by the one who holds all things together. Look again at, we're going to look at Ephesians 1 to 3 to 2 to 10, 2.10. It's in your bulletins if you want to follow along. Um, Also, you you can uh, take out your Bible. Actually, your Bible is probably better because it has the verse numbers on it, but it's in the front and back of your bulletins. But we're going to look at that passage. And what this passage tells us is three things about our identity. It says that you're not an accident. It says that you have a purpose. And it also tells us that your life or life is a mystery. Okay? and this, this will help us understand a little bit better about our identity. So number one, you're not an accident. You were not just born by chance. Your existence is not arbitrary. And how do we know that? Because he chose us. Okay? Verse 5 tells us that God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So, Paul's saying, You belong. You're not a stranger to God. Okay? You're not an orphan without parents. He chose you to be part of his family. You're his kid, you're his son or daughter. You're part of the family of God, and that's adoption. And because we're a son or daughter of God, That also means that we've got an inheritance, okay? One commentary put it this way. It said, when you were born again into God's family, you were born rich. You were born into a wealthy family. Um, So what did you inherit, you might ask? Well, some inheritances we're not sure we want. It was actually a show called Strange Inheritances. And it's all about the weird things that people pass on to their family and and loved ones. You know, you don't want to inherit like, you know, a collection of oven mitts or a rusty 71 Pinto or something like that. But God's inheritances are good. You want those. You want those inheritances. Um, It's something you want. Verse 3 tells us that um, He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Uh, which, which is profound in itself, but let's break that down a little bit. Verse 4 tells us that we are holy and blameless. Okay? Why is that a blessing? Because it tells us that in God's eyes, you are flawless, and you have VIP status. You're a very important person. Um, he's reserved you for himself. That, that's what it means to be holy, to be set aside, set aside and, and reserved for his purposes. And, and we get all this, we get these inheritances, not because we earned it, but because of Jesus' work on the cross. Jesus earned it for us. Right? When, he, when, when God sees us, he sees Jesus. He sees his beloved son. So we, everything that Jesus did, all the goodness that he's earned at the cross, we get as part of the inheritance. Now, there's more. okay? There's more to the inheritance. It says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms in, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 6. And, and what this is talking about is a matter of position. It's a matter of status. It's, it's kind of like how a prince inherits the throne from his father, the king. So Jesus' position, it tells us, is that he's at the right hand of God. And that's just a metaphor for meaning that Jesus has authority, the authority of God the Father. He's right there next to God, and we get to sit right along with Jesus. We get the authority that Jesus has, and and that's why we can minister in Jesus' name. Have you ever wondered why when we pray, we say, In Jesus' name, be healed. In Jesus' name, be free. We, we can use Jesus' name because we're invoking the authority of Jesus that we've inherited by virtue of being sons and daughters of God. Okay. So that's nice. We've got an inheritance. We're part of the family. This is good. But here's the kicker. When did God give you these blessings? Was it after he saw how good of a person you are? No. Ephesians 1.4 says, says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And that is a remarkable statement with profound implications because what it means is that God knew us before we even came into the world. It's reminiscent of that favorite passage or verse of many of ours, Jeremiah 1.5, where he says, I knew you in, even before you were in the womb, I knew you. Okay? Before we took a single breath, God knew everything about you including your screw-ups. Before you screwed up, He knew you screwed up. And yet, He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for you. Okay, there's a little time warp going on here. (laughs) How does that happen? Well, God is a master over time. I love that Rolo said that time does not revolve, we do not revolve, we revolve around time, but time revolves around God. Absolutely true. Before the world was ever created, Jesus already died for you. And what that tells us thats that we're worth it. He chose us from the foundation of the world. All right, so we're, we have an inheritance, we're worth it, but not only are you valuable in God's eyes, but your life has purpose. Okay. Have you ever felt that your life doesn't exactly make sense? That, you know, it's a collection, a jumble of random pieces. Ever, ever feel that way? I, I, I sometimes feel like that. And it's a frustrating experience. I mean, we want to make sense of this, dif- these different fragments in our lives. And what, what we're missing when we feel this way is something to weave those pieces together, to give it meaning. Okay? There's got to be a higher purpose to all this seeming randomness. And that's what Jesus does. Ephesians 1.10 says that God's plan is to unite all things in Jesus to both things in heaven and earth. And that includes you. And it includes all the fragments in your life. When you're united with Jesus, your life becomes coherent. Okay? Um, and it's because what God is doing is that He's weaving your story into His story. There's, there's a, a common thread that runs from God through us into the greater story. And a way to think about this is, you ever think about, you ever seen photo mosaics? Ever see photo mosaics? Okay, these are pictures, pictures that are made of other pictures. Each individual picture has its own meaning, but you don't see the fuller picture until you pull back. And so that's kind of what Jesus does. Okay? Each one of us has a story. Each one of us is like a picture, but when you pull it all together, when it's woven together under Jesus, you see the bigger view, you see the bigger picture. Your existence is not arbitrary, friends. You're not an accident. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are His workmanship. Okay? We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God purposefully created you with fine craftsmanship. It's like He created and cra- lovingly cra- crafted this thing tool that's tailored made for a specific purpose that no other tool can do you're exquisite and lastly there's one more thing that paul tells us in this passage third thing that paul tells us is that god's will is a mystery look at verses 7 to 10 of chapter 1 what it tells us is that god 's been unfolding the mystery of his plan throughout time, and then came jesus and there 's a big revelation of that mystery a big part of that mystery is revealed we know now what we know now what God is cooking, but there 's still more to the mystery that 's unfolding every day and, and that 's good news for those of us searching for an identity why because because the Bible doesn't give you pat answers about the deep life questions. If you've been hearing me, I hope you have, what you walk out of today is knowing that Jesus is at the center of your identity. But honestly, folks, you're probably not going to have a specific answer to those deep questions of what does life mean and now what should I do? Okay? There's still going to be uncertainty in life. And that's OK. You know why? Because you will have hope, and that hope comes from the fact that life is a mystery. But the thing about mysteries is that they make uncertainty tolerable and even exciting. Who likes reading murder mystery novels? Anyone? Or any mystery novel? any mystery novel. That' have to be murder mystery. Um, <laughs> yeah) <laughs> Now, when you read a a mystery novel, let's say it's a murder mystery novel for the sake of argument, does does it tell you who the killer is on page one? No, but that would be a horrible novel. (laughs) I mean, what's the point? The fun in solving a mystery is to figure out the answer to the mystery. Um, It's piecing together clues and figuring out what happens next. you know, we want to figure out who the killer is. We want to figure out how the hero escapes the death trap, if it's a cliffhanger. And and is there uncertainty in that? Yeah, of course there's uncertainty. That's the entire point. But it's not the kind of uncertainty that leaves us bored or anxious. What it does is that it pulls us further into the mystery. Um, the unknown in the ministry, in mystery compels us to move further to find out what happens next. Kind of like when I first came to Blue Water, I didn't know how I fit in. But I knew it was very clear that that was God's plan for us. And eventually, over time, God's plan was revealed. The mystery was revealed. It was exciting to figure out, okay, God, what are you cooking now? What's up next? The uncertainty is tolerable, exciting even. So you know and that's I think that's really important for us to know because life doesn't always resolve immediately. There's always going to be uncertainty in life, always. But a mystery is a safe place for that uncertainty because we have hope. Because we're assured of answers. Our uncertainty is anchored in hope. Jesus is a good place to anchor your uncertainty because he's the one that holds all things together. Right? Ultimately, it will all make sense. All the fragments of your life, it was not a coincidence. It was part of a larger mystery. It was part of a larger uh, story. And your story, no, how, no matter how crazy it is, can be woven into God's story. That gives us hope. So to close, I want to give us an opportunity to reflect on what we've been talking about. Um, so. If you will, join me in this exercise, will you just close your eyes, just close your eyes and be silent. I know that's hard, but it's so important. I want you to close your eyes, be silent and the thing I want you to ask first is, where is my center? Okay. What do you feel in your gut? What do do your thoughts keep going back to? Because that gives you a clue about where your center is. Is it fear? Is it pain? Or is it peace? Peace is part of of our birthright as a follower of Christ, it's part of our inheritance. What is your center? Now, the second thing I want you to ask is, are there parts of your life that seem fragmented? Do you face uncertainties in your life? I want you to identify what those fragments are, or what those uncertainties are. Call it out, give it a name. If you're not sure what they are, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. He's a very good counselor, it's one of his names. Now the last thing I want you to ask. Do you want the parts of your life to be anchored to Jesus? And if you do, ask Jesus to be at the center. Okay, pray it out, pray out loud or silently in your head, but ask Jesus be the center of my life. Ask him to make your life coherent. Embrace the mystery that is God's plan for you and the world. And I'll close us in prayer. Jesus, you're the center. You're the one, the center of it all, of the cosmos. Brothers and sisters, Be united in Christ. Be held by the one who holds all things together. You are held by the one who holds all things together. Be free, and yet be anchored. In Jesus' name, be free, and yet be anchored to Jesus. And experience the peace that transcends all understanding.